Thanks for joining us here this morning to kind of kick off our day. You know, I've had the privilege of just uh, walking alongside you, hearing insights uh, from you on your own passion for missions, but I thought what our audience would really enjoy hearing this morning as we get started is tell us a little bit about your own personal testimony. What, were you, what was your interest in missions as a man going to seminary, and how has that carried forward in your life? Well, obviously, uh, we are all under the mandate of the Great Commission. Um, so I, I understood that. I, I had a desire to see that happen. I also had um, experience as a pastor's kid growing up in my dad's church with what I thought was a um, helter-skelter kind of random approach to missions. Okay. Uh, it, it seemed as though the people who could give the most convincing talk at the church or who were related to somebody in the church, got the church's support. There was no strategy. There, there was no plan. There was no method. And um, even as a seminary student, I was always very aware that the only hope for the church and the only hope for missions was strong leadership, that everything goes back to leadership, that our Lord spent those years with, with 12 men. Um, and invested in them, and the result is, is everlasting and global. So uh, much can be made out of an intense engagement with men. So when I first came to Grace Church, I wasn't sure exactly what the strategy would be uh, as it would unfold. I never dreamed it would be what it is today. This is all surprising to me. We didn't plan this. This is what the Lord did. But um, there were certain missionaries here who... Um, were being supported by the church at a very nominal level. They, they, it's sort of the idea was, let's have as many as we can, and we'll give them all, you know, $50 a month or something. There was really no rhyme or reason for any of it, and many of them were very good, wonderful people and doing a good work. It was hard to kind of figure out what they were doing because they didn't come home, mm-hmm. uh, you know, except every seven years or something like that in those days, and there wasn't a lot of communication going back and forth. We really only heard what they told us. Yes. Uh, and so there were long periods of time we didn't have any idea what was going on. So it just seemed to me that it was not a well-designed plan. But obviously, as a pastor, I can't come in and, and begin to throw missionaries uh, out of the church or stop supporting them. So we had to come up with a plan that would be a gradual replacement um, you know, if you want to have a, a pastorate that lasts a long time, people have to know you love them. You have to embrace what they embrace. You have to love the people they love. Mm. And you have to let the Lord begin to make the change. But the change will come when the strategy that you begin with is so compelling that it just overrides everything else. And it takes time. And eventually you realize one day, if you've had a long-term ministry, the amazing way in which the Lord has brought an entire congregation through that transition. Uh, I, I was passionate about missions. Um, when I finished seminary, I actually took German, just went to the local junior college and took German because I had it in the back of my mind that somebody needed to fix Germany. Um, all, the, all the Reformation history in Germany, and they were so lost, and out of Germany came higher criticism and all the rest of that. And uh, it was a serious issue with me. Maybe the Lord would let me go to Germany. Um, and then it was a few years later that uh, in the ministry here, I began to be invited to preach around the world. And uh, as I got pulled into all these different places in the world, it began to 
become crystal clear to me that this whole thing was about leadership and that the church was never going to be what it needed to be anywhere in the world unless it had the right leadership. And by that, I mean biblically uh, trained and committed leaders. And then it became my passion to uh, do whatever I could to train those leaders. You've said it here, and I've heard you say it many other times, you never imagined that God would do no. what he's doing today. Um, we know that your commitment was to preach the word and to be faithful to the text of Scripture and then let God's people do what they need to do in obedience. Right. It was what Luther said, I've done nothing, the word did it all. I've done nothing. I'm not, I'm not a strategist. They'll tell you that. Mark will tell you that. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a guy who creates big plans and big ideas. I, I just preach, and the Word does it all. It attracts, it attracts people who, uh, who love the Word of God. And I would say, you know, really thoughtful, deep listening to the Scripture being preached is an acquired taste. And it's important for you to understand that. You can't walk into a church of people who've never had that and expect to preach an hour and have everybody just come out of their seat with joy. Learning to listen to the, to the unfolding and unpacking of Scripture is an acquired taste. But once it catches on, it becomes the high point of everybody's Christian experience to hear the preaching of the Word of God. And that is what has driven all of this because the Word of God sends us into the world. The Word of God defines ministry. It defines the church. It defines spiritual leadership. It defines conviction. It defines dedication and commitment. Uh, so Grace Church, under this influence of the Word of God, has just literally flourished in the production of missionaries. And we have them in the pipeline all the time. And it's not that we recruit them. Right. We don't do that. It's not that we, you know, I don't have these dedication services where people have to come down and say, I'll be a missionary, then they're stuck with a public, you know, <laughs> display of that commitment. This is just the work of the Lord in the hearts of people who love the Word, are gifted for ministry, and, and are challenged uh, by, the, by the opportunities around the world. So uh, for me, it was uh, uh, missions is the kingdom ministry. It, it's not a ministry. It is the ministry. Uh, and, you know, it starts at the, the church, but it, but it doesn't end until it covers the globe. And I think having that understanding is, is, is necessary. It isn't always going to end up the way it did here. This is all surprising to me. You know, I would have been completely happy have, after having been married to Patricia for 53 years if she still liked me. So I was working on that. I had no idea that all of this would take place. But it is the power of the Word that attracts men who love the Word, and then those men multiply, those men and women multiply, and pretty soon they're all over the globe if, if you're in one place long enough. Amen. You've said uh, the meta-narrative or the grand story of Scripture is the progress of redemption and certainly the, the honor of Christ. Can you talk about how that is reflected in your approach to expositional preaching? How do you connect the dots? Well, again, the, the, if, if you're an expositor of Scripture, you're basically preaching Christ all the time. When Paul said, I'm determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, you might say, you know, he sounds like an evangelist with three sermons. But the fact of the matter is I've been preaching for over 50 years, and 
No two sermons. I don't memorize my sermons. I don't repeat anything. The glories of Christ are are so boundless, um, so resistant to any kind of shrinking down or narrowing, that in all these years, Christ just comes out everywhere in the the Word of God. And um, and ministry is is about Christ. I, I... keep watching the trends. Um, I was reading an article of one of the Christian colleges in our country where they've come up with a new, what they call a new mission strategy, using a ball on the end of a string and doing some stuff like that. And I thought, um, that there's a failure to understand that basically a ball on a string has nothing to do with that ministry. Ministry is about proclaiming Christ. Mm-hmm. And so this church has always, Christ is everywhere. In the Old Testament, he's anticipated in the Gospels. He's uh, incarnated in the book of Acts. He's, he's proclaimed in the epistles. He's explained. And in the book of Revelation, he's crowned. And it's, it's Christ. You know, Luke 24, you, you're aware of all that. So if you are an expository preacher, you never get very far away from the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he becomes the compelling love in the hearts of people. We ended our Shepherd's Conference last year with a message on loving Christ. And we'll sort of start that tomorrow again, almost at that same point, move it forward. But it's always about Christ. And where Christ is exalted, he, he draws people to himself. They become enamored with him. They, I mean, what is the one single great commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and that is to love Christ, who is God incarnate, God manifest. So... A congregation that loves Christ then takes ownership of the, uh, of, of the purposes that Christ has basically designed for the church in the world, and that is to take his name to the ends of the earth. Uh, so it's always about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no matter how much you preach, you know, you think it's like a death sentence to hear the same guy for 50 years. And this, is, this Easter will be my 50th Easter sermon. Um, but it isn't because they don't really hear me so much as they interact with the Word of God and, and they love Christ. And when I say I'm going to preach on Christ, uh, they, they come because they want to know more about Christ. Paul said that, that I may know him. So I think where you, you, you leave that, you can talk about social justice and you can talk about fixing issues in the world and you can talk about trafficking and, and you can get completely off the point and you're not going to fix the world, by the way. It's not fixable. That's why it's going to be burned up. All we have is the message of the gospel. And when you stay focused on that, your people are single-minded. And I think part of the problem with denominational missions today is there, there are students in churches in those denominations who are confused about the mission of the church in the world. They don't know exactly what it is. They're not sure. They know the gospel's in there somewhere, but it's also some, isn't about feeding the poor and ending sexual trafficking and helping the depressed and oppressed minorities and on and on and on and on. And, and there's a certain sense of, of uh, well-being when uh, you have more than somebody else and you can become concerned about the less that they have. The church loses its focus. And then when you try to get people to do the really lifelong sacrificial work of going to a foreign country, learning a language, and pouring their lives into that nation for the rest of their lives, uh, that's, that's hard to recruit. It's also hard to recruit people today because they're so self-centered. 
This is not a sacrificial generation of young people. But when they're, when they're literally swept away by the glory of Christ, they lose themselves in that. And that's the kind of environment that produces people who just line up and want to go to the world. Yeah, great. You're preaching through uh, the book of Galatians right now. And so I'm going to put you on the spot. I want to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, just as an illustration of how your preaching ministry also affirms what God's doing through his church throughout history. So uh, when, when Paul says that God preached the gospel to Abraham, mm-hmm. and that connects back, of course, to Genesis chapter 12, as you preach through that text, can you just kind of give us your thoughts on how you make those connections as you preach so your church understands, look, this is what God is doing. Yeah. Uh, w- one of the things that I've always done in my preaching, and you, you may not have sort of seen it as clearly as I'll express it, but you have seen it if you've ever listened to me, is every single passage has a context, and that context is a series of larger and larger circles until it finally embraces the whole of Scripture. And so you take a text like Galatians, uh, and you're going through a certain portion of Galatians, and all of a sudden you realize there's, there's... more of this in Romans, and there's more of this in Ephesians, and there's more of this in Colossians, and there's more of this in the teaching of our Lord, and then there's the, what the prophet said, and then there's the covenants that God made in the past, and, and then you're talking about like in Galatians, the salvation and transformation and all of that, and you're, you wind up in Ezekiel 36 and 37, and you're, th- this is how you preach the Bible so that people always have the, the small picture, but it's always in the great context of the full revelation of God. Uh, I will just say that that is infinitely more powerful than trying to convince people through some reasoning process that the Bible is inspired, or trying to convince people that God is the single author of Scripture by giving them some reasonable explanation. If you just show them the amazing, astonishing consistency of Scripture at all points, that isn't even a discussion. They get that. They see the single authorship. And the single authorship of God, the divine character of Scripture is a weight on the back of a Christian that is absolutely formidable. If you're at Grace Church for any amount of time, you feel heavily the weight of the Word of God on your back. Um, that doesn't mean it's a painful thing, but it, it means that we take it seriously. Uh, if you just pick and choose sermons here and there, you, you're, not, you're not accumulating this overwhelming sense that Scripture has this great, vast, unified message of redemption it goes from the prolegomena, you know, in Genesis 3.15, um, the seed of the woman will bruise the serpent's head, all the way to heaven where they're worshiping the lamb that was slain. And so I, 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 like to, I like to move out in those circles so that everybody sees the picture of a given passage in the bigger context. Great. Other question as it relates to your teaching through Galatians, there's been a strong emphasis in, in some really critical sermons on sanctification. Right. That you've addressed. Right. Uh, I want to ask you to comment on this. Sanctification sometimes can be the, uh, the uh, end focus of a pastor. You want to see your people mature right. in Christ. Right. 
but you've made very clear uh, as you've taught through that that there's a greater purpose and that is the relationship of sanctification with our gospel testimony and our witness in the world can you explain just biblically yeah that but point? but if i did that then i wouldn't have anything to say tomorrow mark okay. because tomorrow <laughs> You look forward I, I, to tomorrow. I have about two hours of material for tomorrow. Great. <laughs> you know, I, I will say just one other thing that might be a help to, to you. I, and I'm just here as a young guy. I came in my late 20s, and I'm just preaching and preaching. I don't go anywhere. I was basically here. And I remember the first time I ever left her, I went to Chicago to a pastor's conference at Moody. And um, I, I just went. I hadn't really gone anywhere. I preached a little bit locally. And, that was probably 10 years before I, I ever started doing other things. And then uh, the spreading of tapes started around the world, and people started listening. And so then we started to get requests to go to, well, all over the place, whether it was Canada or Montreal and whether it was New Zealand or Australia or mm -hmm. Asia or, you know, was wherever, all, all the Philippines, um, Europe. Russia, Ukraine, uh, Kazakhstan. I, I, was, I was going all over, everywhere. Uh, Brazil, places, other places, uh, down in Colombia, and, uh, all over the place. And, and I was just, and people would say, we never heard preaching like this. This is, uh, mm -hmm. they had heard these tapes and they would have me come. And the pattern was almost identical every time. I'd go there for a week or two and it was intense sometimes preaching four, five, six hours a day. I was literally doing a Steve Lawson. That's what I was doing. Was, um, and I, I mean, I, I went to Russia and taught the whole New Testament in six days, eight hours, six days in a row. Yes. Uh, but that's what they wanted. And they would say to me, we want to preach like this. Can you come back? And we'd come back and they'd say, can you send somebody else? We started sending guys from our staff uh, around the world to follow this up. And then pretty soon they would say, we need a school. We need this training. Can you train us? Can you help train us? And that's what led to this. This all just came in. The, this was nobody's strategy. This was nobody's plan. And, uh, but, but our graduates from the seminary then would go and do a um, and say, well, I'll just go and stay there. And they started building teams in all these training centers around the world. And uh, they took the doctrinal statement of the master seminary, which is so critical that you have sound doctrine if you're going to train pastors, right? What's the point in training them in error? So you, you have to have sound doctrine. You train them in sound. So they took that, and, and they just kept growing. But it all happened because the power of the preaching of the Word. It wasn't me because I wasn't even there in those early years. They were just okay. listening to a tape. Uh, and they wanted to know how to preach like that. They, they could hear the power of the experience of expository preaching and sound doctrine. There's, in the heart of a believer, there is a chord that is struck by that, that is absolutely powerfully struck. When you know how to listen to expository preaching, you are wrapped up in this powerful explanation of the divine truth. It is overwhelming. It is overwhelming when you know how to listen to that. And so these people would all say, can you come and train us, come and train us. And, you know, I, I don't know how many times I went back to the former Soviet Union. I don't know, eight or ten times, I guess. And, and eventually a school grew up and New Zealand a school grew up and, and it just kept going and going. So I, I just wanted to make sure you know that because it happened at the request of people who said, can you train us to preach sound doctrine in an expositional right. way. 
And the second thing that they would always say was, we, we, we need to do this because we can't protect our churches from error if we don't know how to teach the Bible accurately. That was a big concern. So that's how it all just grew, still growing. Well, I know you love our missionaries. That's evidence every time I speak to you and when I see you engage them and, and uh, you look for every opportunity to support them. As you could. I remember one time we were in the car driving and you said, you know, if I could at this season of my life uh, just have some dedicated time, I'd move overseas and just try to love sure. and serve our missionaries. And, and uh, that always stood out to me. I see that in your ministry, but I hear it from you personally. Um, maybe just uh, as we close here this time, what would you say to these men as pastors? How do you love your missionaries? Well, uh, I, see, I see our missionaries as the most committed at the highest, most extreme level of all the folks in our congregation. Now, I understand there's a calling of God, mm-hmm. but they, they, they are exhibiting the highest level of life commitment. That's a, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Um, but again, and I'll say some, something about this this week, but, uh, you have to understand where real joy lies. And the Christian life is a fight for joy. And joy comes through obedience and extreme dedication. If you want to fight through for joy... It's, you're not going to find joy in fulfilling your own lowest level comfort desires. Joy is found at the most extreme level of obedience and service. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think you as a pastor have to not just talk about that, but you have to demonstrate that in the dedication that you have to your pulpit and your people and your church. I remember a girl came to me one time here and said, um, Pastor, I, I've never talked to you before, but I know you love me. And I smiled and I said, well, uh, how do you know that? And she said, because you work so hard to prepare to preach the Word of God so it'll have its impact on my life. And I see that as you loving me. I, I, think, I think people do see that. I, th- this church is full of people who love me and they have no real personal relationship to me. But there's something about being the one who has fed them the Word of God. So I think the greatest thing you can do is be faithful in the Word of God. And then the next thing is to lead your people into the vision of global missions. And I'm telling you, nowhere is it any more strategic than what TMAI is doing. It's, it's an incredibly strategic ministry. It's, it's all about leadership, right? People are not going to rise higher than their pastors and their shepherds. And, and we don't go into a country and say, okay, we're going to tell you how to do it. We don't go anywhere unless we're invited by the nationals who say, come and help us. And that's the way we want to do it. Amen. We're grateful for you. Thank you for your encouragement and your example. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, Thank joy. you. Thank you so much. Thank Our you. Pleasure.